The information in this broadcast is for educational purposes only and is not provided as a professional service, medical advice, or is it intended or implied to be a substitute for diagnosis or treatment. You are encouraged to confirm any information obtained from this broadcast with other sources and review all information regarding any medical condition or treatment with your physician and other appropriate healthcare providers. Hi, I'm Pete Levine. Welcome to Noggins and Neurons, Stroke and TBI Recovery Simplified. I'm a clinical instructor and clinical researcher. I've co-authored dozens of scientific journal articles about brain injury recovery, and I'm also the author of the book, Stronger After Stroke. I'm Deborah Battistella, occupational therapist, creator of the OT's Guide to Mirror Therapy, and an OT educator. I have a lot of experience working with survivors. Most of my clinical practice has been in a certified stroke center. Pete and I are especially interested in talking about what rehab, neuroscience, and clinical research all have to say about the brain and recovery. But don't worry, our job is to make this stuff simple. We're here to make it so that everyone, clinicians, clinical students, caregivers, and most importantly, the survivor, understands what it takes to leverage their great neuroplastic brain for recovery. This podcast began with both Pete and I, two kindred souls with a passion for moving the recovery process forward. If you've started listening more recently, say since the beginning of 2022, you likely noticed that Pete is absent from conversations. This is because he had a rather unexpected and abrupt departure from this earthly plane. Pete's voice remains in the intro in reverence to and respect for his part of our joint vision for this project. Simply put, it wouldn't be where it is today, nor have a future without him. Now, on to another great conversation. In this episode of Noggins and Neurons, Doro and I talk all about the brain, the different regions and their functions. Quickly, before diving into the talk, I want to let you know that if you're interested in learning about mirror therapy, I am presenting at the Next Level Geriatric Care Summit on March 29th. The summit runs from the 29th through the 31st. My talk is on the 29th at 1.20 p.m. Eastern Time. The title is Upper Extremity Mirror Therapy for Stroke Rehab. What's behind the reflection? Your attendance at the summit can earn you up to 40 continuing education hours. You can also get a geriatric care certification and you will have access to all recordings. Go to the show notes and look for the link to sign up and you can learn more about the summit there. And now let's learn all about the brain. So if you do hear my dogs in the background, I apologize. We're trying to keep them quiet. Okay. But because it's, you know, later in the day, they're running around. Mm -hmm. I have to get their wiggles out. They're very cute. And they might yap. Okay. That's cool. All right, so what are we going to start with today? 
Do we want to talk about the brain? I do. My favorite thing in the world. Yeah, I do. And, you know, I started to go down a rabbit hole, which you know how easy that is to do. Mm -hmm. I actually started looking up just basic brain information to remind myself about That's what I did. You did? Mm Mm-hmm. Awesome. Awesome. So what'd you start with? What'd you find? So I just kind of looked at the brain anatomy. I tried to break it down for myself because I feel like I I might look at the brain differently than our listeners. Mm -hmm. It's like, all right, let's just start really basic and then we can dive really deep. Um, But I feel like you need that basic understanding so you don't get lost on the, on the way to the deep dive. Um, yeah, so I looked at the three different areas, the forebrain, the midbrain, the hindbrain, what ooh, ooh. fancy, um, what composes the brain. And then I looked at the different lobes again. And uh, yeah, this is so exciting. It is. It really I love is. the brain. I do too. Do you know how much a brain weighs? about I should know this I mean my brain weighs about 25 pounds oh yeah mm-hmm. Duh. like like an <laughs> elephant brain so <laughs> smart well you know what so here's something I learned too while I was digging a bigger heavier brain doesn't equal smarter oh mm. I know sad right because mm-hmm. I, was, I was digging, I was like, okay, so if it's a bigger brain and it's heavier, it has more neurons, therefore it should be smarter. Yep, well, because maybe it's not all packed full of neurons. Yeah. Mm. Well, how much mm. does a brain weigh? About three. We're talking about a human brain, correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Primate brain. Yeah. About three pounds. Okay. Like 1.4 kilograms approximately, I think. That's probably better that it's not 25 pounds. You know how that would be hard to hold your head up. So I don't even think, I think it would crush itself. Like the brain would smush itself. Oh, it gets stuck inside the skull. Yeah, you have that, just have yeah. like jello because it's just, <laughs> yeah. Good. That was a good sound effect. I love Right. <laughs> Yeah. So since you're talking about the size of the brain, Mm -hmm. I looked up those structures known as the the gyri and the sulci. Ooh. Again. Because I was like, I remember learning in anatomy and physiology all about the need for these um, convoluted structures Mm -hmm. so that there could be more surface area. Do you remember Mm -hmm. in anatomy and physiology, always learning about surface area, no matter what body structure you were learning Mm -hmm. about, it's all about surface area. Yeah. So I looked into that again today. And so the gyrus is the singular term, but gyri or Mm -hmm. sulcus is a singular term or sulci. They create folds that enhance the surface area, they divide structures, and they increase cognitive abilities. 
How do they increase cognitive abilities? Because there's more surface area. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. That's yeah. So interesting. It is interesting. And I also learned that it's because of those grooves that the brain could continue to grow and develop because if they weren't there, it would have the thing that would happen is what you were just talking about. The brain it would just goes, pop. crush itself against the skull. Yeah. Yeah. That would not be not good. No. 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 So I thought that was pretty cool. It is cool. Yeah. I agree. Um, hold on. Sorry. I'm get, trying to get organized here. Yeah, but sure. Go ahead. Stand up. While you're doing that, I'll just say that it's those grooves that separate different parts of the brain and the deeper grooves like divide the brain in half and separate the lobes mm -hmm. do we kind of want to go over the brain like the hemispheres the brain the different lobes um do we want to do that okay so whenever i try to explain a brain I say, think of a walnut. Right? Because right. it looks just like a brain. It looks just like it. Yep. So the big part with all those grooves and folds, that would be the cerebrum, or the forebrain. And then you have the midbrain, which is teeny, teeny tiny inside. It kind of connects the forebrain to the hindbrain and the hindbrain is the last little bit of this big part that goes into the spinal cord. Um, what I love about the brain is that it always has to work together, but each part is its own specialty. So it's like a constant teamwork. Mm -hmm. Like a beautiful orchestra. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, you can tell when one part or parts, some parts are not don't work. working properly because you don't feel the same. Correct. Mm -hmm. So let's see. So we have the main structures. Since we're talking about those main structures, can we talk about that they're made out of gray and white matter? <laughs> Yes, we need to talk about gray and white matter. So today I learned, not for the first time, <laughs> I reviewed that the gray matter is the outermost brain layer. And it's... Yes, the cerebral yes. cortex. And it's really important for that normal daily functioning that we, yes. we all enjoy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And gray matter is primarily cell bodies. Correct. And then the white matter is the cells, the, the axons. axons. Yeah, with the myelin sheath that protects the axons and protects the, the cable, so yes, to speak. The cable. I love um, the visual image that I get thinking about cable connections inside the brain yeah i know right yeah yeah it's like a cable always has a rubber or plastic con um 
encasing to protect it. And then at the very end, you have that naked open area where you connect it. Not naked like that. <laughs> you said naked. Do you know? I know. Was I naked? Do you know what part of the brain has the most amount of gray matter? Ooh, let me think. You're not even going to believe it. What part of the brain has the most amount of gray matter? I think I'll guess it. No, Try. I don't know. You really don't know? Mm -hmm. The I cerebellum. Oh, I'm going to You were? It. Darn it. it well, I was thinking about it and then I was like, it does have tons of surface area if you look at it. It does. It has more neurons than the entire brain. Like that. Yeah. I was yeah. like, and it, it seems so small. It must be so dense. Oh, yeah. Which is so interesting. And those neurons from the cerebellum extend from the brain into the spinal cord. Correct. The gray matter neurons process information and release new information. Do you know that? I did know that. I know you did. <laughs> I can just say, no, no, I didn't know that is so cool. <laughs> you could say, I did know that. And it's so cool. It, it is cool. It is cool. Did you have anything you wanted to say about the gray matter? No. No, I think you, you summed it up really nice. I think you said it, basically. And you know what else I found re find really interesting about the brain? What? That the signals are both electric and chemical. No, isn't it? That was a nice mm -hmm. reminder today. I'm like, oh, duh. I didn't. I knew it, but I haven't thought about it in a while. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like. Yes, there's an electrical signal, but then the transmitters, when it goes from one to the other, like this, the synapse, that's where you have those chemical transmissions. And you need those. You need them functioning in just the right way, because if something's off, then you don't have that good connection. Correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's why it's so important a lot of times after a brain injury that even if you don't, if you have full motor control, just still get a psychiatric evaluation, I think, or a psychological evaluation because your hormones can be totally off and you can just feel completely wackadoo. It's, and it's no, not your it's fault. it's not your fault. You know, it, it's, just, it's the brain. It's the chemicals it's in the brain. It's part of the chemical reaction and, that occurs from having a stroke. Right. Yeah. And when I say psychiatrist, I don't mean that the person's crazy, but I feel like psychiatrists understand brain chemistry very well. That's why I think we should be including everybody, all, all types of medical professionals. And I do think that the neuropsychiatric, the neuropsychological person has a much better understanding of why a person might be feeling or acting behaving the way that they are oh absolutely absolutely no, it's okay. i feel like sorry that's that's one of my little soapboxes um people are so scared 
because of the term psychiatrist, especially after a brain injury, they're like, well, I feel fine. My brain got injured. I'm not depressed. Yes, I know. It has nothing to do with feeling depressed or feeling down or anything like that. It's the chemistry in the brain. How quick, how quick does it fire between how, how quick does information get relayed from one station to the other? Um, all those different chemicals and hormones that affect it. So it's interesting that you're talking about this right now, because I was looking at some articles on a term that Pete had brought up, diascesis or diaskesis. Mm. And it's a, it's, it has to do with all of the different connections from mm-hmm. one part of the brain to another. And one of the things that I was reading in this article had to do with these chemical changes that occur in the brain, mm-hmm. edema in the brain, and how important it is for the people who understand each aspect of these changes that occur in the brain, how to get them under control. And it's it's part of an yes, interdisciplinary I- team. And it is sad that uh, psychiatry or psychology or anything to do with um, thinking about the brain and behavior in that way has such a stigma associated with it. Yeah, I agree. That's also important. I mean, if if I had a brain injury, the first two docs I would go to is a neurologist and a psychiatrist. Um to get it checked out well yeah well and here's another one trauma oh processing trauma there is so much trauma associated with having a stroke Mm -hmm. or a traumatic brain injury or acquired brain injury beyond the brain injury itself you know sometimes your experience in the hospital your experience too you know before all of these things and the body holds on to that and can make it difficult to move through it mm-hmm. and be well. No, yeah, I like it. And then talking about this subject or topic um, of brain chemistry, I've had several clients that were given, they were not depressed, but they were given an SSRI, which is an antidepressant, right after stroke to promote neuroplastic changes. And there's actually several studies, I believe, on Soloft, a Soloft administration post-stroke to increase neuroplastic changes. So it's interesting to me how you can possibly influence the brain chemistry. I mean, it almost makes sense if, if you feel somewhat better, if your brain is more balanced it's going to be easier to create those new pathways versus if everything's just wonky. That's the truth. If you feel better, you feel more inclined to participate in your rehab or get back to the Mm -hmm. job of living, which by the way, promotes brain changes. Those neuroplastic no, changes. Doing what you like to do. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, that sounds huh. like occupational therapy. Huh. <laughs> oh. You cracked me up. Sure. 
Okay, so we talked about the structure of the brain. Oh, and here's the most important part. Why? The brain sits in fluid. It does. It does. Yep. And we need that fluid to wash the brain. Mm -hmm. You got to have a (laughs) clean brain. (laughs) I hope people know that I'm a little bit joking here. I don't don't inject anything (laughs) to make, to wash the brain. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So, but it, do we want to talk? No, about, no, go ahead. Oh, wait, sorry, go ahead. Well, I'm thinking about the different structures that you already mentioned, and I'm wondering if we want to talk about each of those. Do we want to like? How do we want to um, proceed with this? Because I have my notes that are probably organized a little differently than your notes are. Well. Let's just start talking. I'll follow your lead. You're a good leader. Oh, mm-hmm. gosh. Yeah. Am I? <laughs> That's cute. Well, let's talk about the cerebrum because that is the uh, largest part of the brain. Mm-hmm. It's part of the forebrain. It houses the cerebrum, the thalamus, the hypothalamus, the pineal gland or the pineal gland and the limbic Mm -hmm. system and it is two hemispheres so you have a left hemisphere yes and a right hemisphere and even though Mm -hmm. it's two separate hemispheres they are connected in the middle so to speak and they communicate with each other by the and they what Mm -hmm. communicate with each other the right side can communicate Mm -hmm. with the left side well a good functioning brain does communicate mm-hmm. with each side. Mm-hmm. And it's connected by the That's corpus right. callosum. Mm-hmm. I had a client. Um, oh, man, I can't say this. So I was going to tell you that I worked with several clients that had a corpus callosotomy. Did I say that right? That's a big word for me. Mm. Yeah, which is basically the separation of the connection between the two hemispheres. The clients had um, seizure activities that were unable to be controlled, unable to be controlled with medications. So they did it surgically. And seizure stopped. (laughs) Isn't that fascinating? Mm -hmm. And they felt better, didn't they? Did their brain function differently? Not on the outside. So I didn't observe any motor changes or emotional changes, anything like that. But I don't know how the thinking might have changed. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Well, have you seen that documentary, The Brain That Changes Itself? There's a documentary. I've read the book like 500 times, there but is. I didn't know there's a documentary. Maybe, mm-hmm. you know what? Yeah. You know what? Now that you, I think I did. I haven't read the book, but I've seen the documentary. There's, 
Oh my gosh. I've I've ugh, can't stop reading it. And the brain that heals itself too. So good. I'm writing it down. Um so good. Must read. Well, there's a woman in there who was who was born with about a half a brain. And it you know, she's amazing. She can remember, mm-hmm. she can remember dates. You can just tell her a date and she can tell you what day of the week that was on whatever year it was. I mean, she's, she's phenomenal. That's awesome. Yeah. I had a client that had to have half the brain surgically removed basically. Yeah. Because of tumors and everybody expected the worst, like paralysis, not being able to move personality changes. And because the client was fairly young, the other side picked everything up. It's it amazing. took some time, but it's yeah. Oh, brain is just so. Sorry, that was my email. I didn't hear anything. Oh, you didn't? No. Oh, thank goodness. <laughs> I just got this lovely wing. Yeah, you just saw, saw me going face. crazy on the screen. Oh, I wish you people in the in podcast land could have seen that. That was interesting. An angry German for a hot second. Angry at the email. Bing. Uh You know, I've been listening to other very well-known podcasters, people who are probably on the millionaire side of things. They have dings. I hear slurps when they drink water. Sweets, I'm not going to stress out about the dogs. Yeah. No, don't stress out about the dogs. No, we're just having a good time here. Good. Talking about the brain. Talking about the brain. So we talked about cerebrum. Mm -hmm. So because, and there's two hemispheres, there's four lobes. Yes. In each hemisphere, you've got the frontal, the parietal, the temporal, and the occipital lobes. Correct. And then. A lot of time, or not a lot of times. Okay, edit. Cut this out. <laughs> signals from the... So the brain signals cross sides in the body. Mm-hmm. So what happens in the left side of the brain usually um, moves or initiates anything in the right side of the body and vice versa. Right brain, left side of body. Yes. And that's why it can be confusing sometimes if... People talk about where a stroke happened or the mm-hmm. side of the body that it happened on and, and mm-hmm. how it affects the body. It can be a little confusing sometimes. Yeah. So here's something that I encourage anybody that's listening that deals with any kind of brain injury or a loved one who had a brain injury. Um, I would highly encourage them to ask the physician where in the brain they're accident or lesion occurred Mm -hmm. because that will help a clinician or a therapist so much in addition to doing a thorough evaluation of course but it just provides so much guidance yeah and helps figure out a better treatment plan Mm -hmm. it does in my in my opinion oh yeah yeah you know another word that they use a lot of times is infarct you know they use these words that you're like what are you talking about yeah but yeah, 
area yeah, of infarct damage. can be used mm-hmm, mm-hmm. instead of lesion and then you have see now now i'm going down the rabbit hole now i'm talking about an embolus or an hemorrhage so if you have an hemorrhagic stroke or injury that means you have a bleed in the brain where just something ruptured and you're bleeding in the brain and the pressure of the blood is pushing on other structures and the blood is not going where it should be going. Yes. Or you could have a clot, which prevents the blood from going where it needs to go and also builds up pressure in the brain. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's why it's really important to um, move. When when we're talking about clots, moving the body is really Mm -hmm. important because it helps the blood flow better and prevents the formulation of clots, whereas more sedentary lifestyle, sitting a lot causes the blood to get thicker and and clots can form. They can um, travel through the vessels. Sometimes clots break off from Mm -hmm. plaque, travel through the Mm -hmm. body. Yeah. And it's just, it's the vessels in the brain are so tiny. Yes, they're teeny, teeny, tiny. They're just very, very tiny. They're teeny, teeny, tiny. So yeah, you don't even need a big clot, like a a chunk or something. Teeny, teeny, tiny. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's enough. All right, what's next on your list? What's the next area you got? Well, do we want to talk about... Um, so you, you mentioned the four lobes. I want to talk about those. And then at some point I want to talk about the cerebellum because I am falling madly in love with the cerebellum. I can tell. I can't even help it. It's like, I feel like, feel like when I went to school and all of the continuing education I've had to take as part of working in the certified stroke center and and that, that I have taken because I choose to. It has not been properly talked about. Well, so we should talk about it. Yeah, but let's do the other. Let's do the. Okay, let's do it. So we have the frontal lobe. I got to find my notes here. So if you think about the brain and the cerebrum, which is, if you think of a picture of a brain, the frontal lobe would be the area in your forehead, basically. Um, And that areas responsible for scheduling, imagining, reasoning, decision making. Sounds like you're talking about a lot of executive function types of skills. Mm-hmm. Yeah, lots of executive function. And then you know, we also have the motor cortex, which is at the very rear of the frontal lobe. Yeah, it's like right, it like butts up against it. I said butt. You did. <laughs> Man, I'm bad today. Yeah. I said naked and butt. <laughs> but not in the same sentence until now. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, so the rearmost portion of the frontal lobe would be the motor, motor cortex. That's where... Oh, now think of the homunculus. Oh, 
That's where all the motor activity happens. That's where your control center for your movement lays. Did I say that right? Did that make sense? It did. Okay. You've got the primary motor cortex and you've got the premotor cortex. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, for the homunculus, there's a motor homunculus and a sensory homunculus mm -hmm. too that people should be aware of. Motor has to do with movement and sensory has to do with all of the different sensations. Yeah. Light touch, pain, temperature, proprioception, mm -hmm. kinesthesia, like knowing where your limbs and body are in space and knowing the direction mm -hmm. of movement that they're making or ex excursion of movement. Did I say that the right way? Excursion? Exertion? Excursion. No, excursion? Mm -hmm. Excursion. Like going on an excursion? Yeah. 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 Our limbs go on excursions all day long. Don't ask me. I'm a foreigner. I don't know <laughs> nothing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what I think is so cool about the primary motor cortex? It communicates with almost all of the cortical and subcortical brain areas. Like it is highly communicative with these yes. other regions. And so when you're thinking oh, about the cortical regions, we're thinking about the parietal lobe, which we'll talk about shortly, the premotor mm -hmm. cortex and the, the supplementary motor area. Um, and then the subcortical regions are the, the cerebellum, the thalamus, the basal ganglia, the brainstem and the spinal cord. So all of those parts of the brain contribute to movement. Yep. So what happens in the parietal lobe? You well, know, tell us, you want to share? Don't we want to talk <laughs> about the premotor cortex first? Oh, sorry. I'm too quick. You are very like, quick. We talked about it. You know, okay. I love the premotor cortex because it's the part of the brain that fires before the motor cortex fires. I know, which is kind of exciting, which that's the part, that's the area in the brain we use for our brain computer interface mm -hmm. program. You know what else? For It's so cool if you don't have the brain computer interface, but you have a mirror mm -hmm. or you can watch another person. If, if you can mm -hmm. observe another person moving, that part of the brain is firing. Yep. It's so cool. Like a little firework. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's good news for people who don't have movement Correct. in a limb. There's always yeah. something, there's still something that you can do to get your brain firing because certain things have to happen before the physical action can occur sometimes. Yeah, you got to build the roads. Mm -hmm. Create those pathways. Yes. Yes. Um, so can I just say that the premotor cortex receives information from the cognitive parts of the frontal lobe, you know, those thinking parts that you were just talking about? Mm -hmm. Specifically, if you're thinking about making a motor action, like moving a limb, Mm -hmm. 
you're communicating, your brain is communicating with that thinking part of itself. Right. Mm -hmm. So when athletes train and visualize shooting hoops, they're activating the premotor cortex. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they visualize that ball going yeah. right in the hoop. Mm -hmm. And they strengthen the connections. And research shows it's equally as effective as mm -hmm. making the motion yourself. Correct. Yeah. And I feel like that if, is something that we really need to help people understand. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm huge in mental imagery. I love, 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 love mental imagery. And I think I told you before, I used to study... Um, that way, I guess. No. So both for motor and problem solving. So I would, it was in high school and I sucked in math, just not good. And I'd go to bed. I'd study really hard, go to bed. I would fall asleep. In my sleep, I would have a really hard math problem. I would figure it out in my sleep. And the next morning, wake up and I'd be good to go. And my grades went from like a C-ish or below to an A. That's incredible. Started, yeah, crazy, right? So I did cool. the same for um, when I did gymnastics on horses. Before a competition, I would visualize all the movements. Wait a minute. You did gymnastics on horses? Yeah. No wonder you like baby goat yoga. It was the yoga on me. I did gymnastics on horses. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And when I, same when I learned to drive a car, I visualized it over and over and over. Mirror check, side mirrors, over the shoulder, mm -hmm. the whole sequence. And I learned so much quicker that way. Yeah. And it becomes um, part of your routine. Yeah. A habit mm -hmm. that becomes a routine yep. when you get in the car. It's it's for anything. And, and it is that cognitive piece is part of motor learning, too. Yep. So you know how you said you're in love with the cerebellum? Mm -hmm. I'm in love with the premotor cortex. Mm -hmm. See? Yeah. It's true love. It's true love. It yeah, true love. for sure. I, I feel like it's not talked about enough and it's so powerful and I love that it can help clients that don't have any motor movement mm -hmm. and they can still have control yeah and be engaged active actively engaged in their therapy or rehab mm -hmm. um, just by activating the right area in the brain mm -hmm. have you ever heard the term thoughts become things be yes. careful what you think about well, it's because the of the whole thinking, visualization piece. I think sometimes it becomes, it, it's challenging for people if they can't feel or they can't even Correct. consider. Yes. I know for me, I've had a hard time visualizing, but I've mm -hmm. recently adopted a strategy that makes it easier for me where I just say, well, what if I... Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because it's really hard for my brain, and I would imagine other people are this way too, to really believe something that it mm -hmm. knows isn't true. Because my, you know, our brains are pretty smart. 
like that. Mm -hmm. So if I just say, what if, like all of a sudden it doesn't have to be true. There's just a possibility of that. So what if, you know, I think like if a person had a stroke and what if I could feel my arm move, Mm -hmm. what Mm -hmm. would that feel like? And then you could close your eyes and imagine what if I felt it, which is so Mm -hmm. different than pretending to tell yourself that you can. That, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. So many times when I tell clients, I want you to feel into your arm or try to feel into your arm. I've gotten the answer. I can't feel it. And here's what it feels like to me when you say that. It's the same as if I would ask you to make the chair across the room levitate. There's just no connection there. They do not know how to where to even start. Yeah. And when clients and I had I think I had three clients that said the exact same thing. Trying to tap into a motor movement or a sensory movement after a stroke for them felt like me telling them lift this object with your mind. Mm-hmm. Just didn't connect. So mm-hmm. I love your what you said, what if? Mm-hmm. I'm going to try that with them. Yeah. It helps me so much. Cuz yeah. it it it's like there's this pressure to perform right? something that your brain knows is impossible. Yeah. Except for. And it allows your thoughts to come and go and just. Oh, yes. Take it to the next level. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's worth a try. Oh, yeah. well, it's certainly not going to hurt anything. No. No. So the other cool thing about your favorite part of the brain, the premotor cortex It's really, really active when a motor action contains a visual cue. So if you're thinking about reaching for an object, so all you have to do is think about reaching for it. You look at it and then bam, it starts firing. Mm -hmm. Mm, So good. I know. So good. It is so good. I think the hard part is in therapy, the hardest part is to motivate clients to visualize something like that. Looking at a hand that's, let's say, paralyzed or weak. Mm-hmm. I think there's like a big, big obstacle there to overcome. Yeah. I think part of it is um, there is some body dysmorphia there because it doesn't feel the same so you become a little disconnected from it right if you can't feel it and um this is going to sound really strange but i'm just going to put it out there so i was i had a lot of right ear pain for a while this is how i learned about um inflammation (laughs) because i'm pretty sure it was like jaw clenching and Mm -hmm. some inflammation in my body that caused this pain. But I thought I had an ear infection. It was stabbing pain. Mm -hmm. Couldn't figure out what was wrong. And I used to, when it would be so bad, but I was at work and I had to work, I didn't want it to get in the way of my ability to take care of whoever I was working with. So I would just think, I love my ear. And just think a kind thought Mm. towards my ear 
Mm -hmm. because it's easy to become angry and annoyed with a body part when it's not serving you the way that you're used to it serving you. Yeah. And it spirals out of control Mm -hmm. really quick. And I mean, it's living tissue. Mm -hmm. You know, the fact of the matter is it's living tissue. And if, if water changes based on the way that we think about it or send thoughts towards it, then why would it not work for our body to help us reconnect with that part of our body? So, you know, Mm -hmm. just throwing that out there. Yeah. You know, not saying it's easy. No, absolutely. You know, to think something appreciative or kind towards this part of your body that you can't feel. No. Yeah. It's, it's going to be hard, Mm -hmm. but I think it's important to mention and important to maybe make an effort towards it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Give it a try. Yeah. Why not? I mean, who knows what kind of neural connections you're making just by thinking a kind thought like that. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's why we need like an EEG helmet. Oh yeah. That gives us constant feedback. Mm -hmm off what our brain does when we do certain things i kind of scared (laughs) oh my gosh i would look at the monitor all day long oh i know what you were thinking yeah it's so fun (laughs) Uh uh-huh uh-huh all right all right we want to talk about cortex well we have the premotor cortex Followed by the motor cortex. Well, didn't we talk about that? Yeah, we did. And then we have... No, and then we have the somatosensory cortex. Yeah, let's talk about where is that? So the somatosensory cortex is laying right behind the motor cortex. Mm -hmm. It's in the parietal lobe. Mm -hmm. So the parietal lobe I have to remember how they taught us in school. They did this thing with the hands. Did you learn it that way? Oh. Where frontal lobe, so she's... parietal lobe, temporal lobe. Oh, okay. So do that and I'll tell people oh, what yeah. you're doing. So she's, she's got her <laughs> hand on her forehead, her hand right on your forehead like, oh, I can't think about this anymore. That's the frontal lobe. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And then right on the it... top of her head. Um, kind of like on top of where the ears are. Yeah, like head, shoulders, knees, and toes. Yep. Mm-hmm. That those are the that would be the parietal. Mm-hmm. And then oh, on the sides. Yep, on the sides, like with her hands over her ears. That those are the temporal lobes. And then on the back of the head is the occipital lobe. Lobes. Yeah, yo. Yeah. We might have to so find a picture about... somewhere able... of what of the brain. I mean, you could just Google the brain. Oh yeah, if if people want to get that visual image. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about parietal. Lobes. Okay, let's do it. Go for it. <laughs> you were going to go first. <laughs> You go first. Well, I would say, generally speaking, the parietal lobe has to do with sensation. Mm-hmm. Um, so it really is responsible for perceiving 
and integrating sensory information, things like taste, touch, hearing, sight, smell, um, all the things that make our human experience so um, intricate and enjoyable. Mm -hmm. And then reading and math also gets processed in the varietal lobes. Yeah, so this it's like a processing center. Mm -hmm. It makes sense of information that is taken in. Yeah. Yeah. Or that we're thinking about. So all of that math, your parietal lobes must have been really working hard when you were sleeping. I guess. That's amazing. I say, (laughs) I want an EEG helmet. Mm -hmm. Has to do with, um, well, and this makes sense, higher order cognitive functions. So like uh, working memory, motor planning, spatial attention navigation, decision-making. And people who have a neglect or an inattention have some challenges related to the parietal lobe. Mm -hmm. What I think is so cool about the posterior parietal cortex, that is sensory and motor. That part of the brain has sensory and motor neurons. Because sensation and movement are very intricately connected. Mm-hmm. Connected, yeah. And that explains why if, if there's sensation damage, if somebody doesn't feel their limb, if they don't, if their proprioception's impaired, all of those things, that's why it's hard to move a limb that has impaired sensation. Yeah. That makes sense. See, I'm looking at looking at the temporal lobe. Let's see. Do you have your anatomy textbook there with you? I do. See, I don't even have that anymore. How'd you know? Well, it's not anatomy. It's um, it's the essential brain injury guide. Oh, look how pretty it is. Oh, that is beautiful. Oh. It really yeah. is. Uh-huh. All those connections. It's gorgeous. It is gorgeous. Do we want to move on to the temporal lobe? Sure. All right. So did you know that the temporal lobe is the second largest lobe after the frontal lobe? Um, I do now. That's what I read on Google. <laughs> Google is so helpful. <laughs> Just careful where you get your information from, right? That's right. Um, so the temporal lobe is involved in processing lots of auditory information. Mm-hmm. Hence, it sits right by the ears. Yes. Our body's smart. It really is, isn't it? Do you know which side is dominant in most people? Oh, the left. Mm-hmm. Which is interesting. That's true for me because if I talk on the phone, mm-hmm. I hold the phone on my left ear. I do too. Interesting. 
I did too. I don't talk on the phone very much. But when I do. (laughs) It's on your left. Yes, it is. That's funny because I do the same thing and I'm right-handed. Yep, same here. So then we also have the speech and language center in the temporal lobe. We do. So there's there's two. There's the Wernicke's mm-hmm. and there's the Broca's area. And the Wernicke's is primarily involved in understanding, making sense of things that you hear. Whereas Broca is more the language articulation, forming words. Like the motor production. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's why when when you're talking to a person and they say all of these random words that don't go together, you would think Wernicke's aphasia. Whereas a person who's having a hard time making the sounds has more to do with Broca's aphasia. Mm-hmm. Yep. And people who have trouble with both are known to have global aphasia. That's really tough. Yeah, global aphasia is a toughie. Hmm. That's one we can have a whole episode on. Yeah, we're trying to get somebody for that. Yeah. So people who have damage to the temporal lobes can have difficulty with selective attention. Mm-hmm. Like deciding what to pay attention to. Is it something that I see? Oh, then you hear something. And it can be Squirrel. really... <laughs> I think a lot of us have a hard time with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or, um, yeah, like filtering out the important information. Yes. Your environment. Yeah. Yeah. And suppressing what's not important. Mm-hmm. It's just good. Everything seems important. That's exhausting. Yeah. Oh, makes me tired. Just Can you imagine your, your brain isn't able to filter and just has to process all the information at the same time because there's mm-hmm. no filter that regulates it no. or modulates it that would that would be like your brain on overdrive mm-hmm. and i could imagine a person becoming very tired i was just gonna say just probably fall over and fall asleep mm-hmm. yeah if you guys if all you people could just stop talking and we could turn the lights off mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's why it's so important to really give the brain rest, both in, here's another soapbox. I'm a big believer in uh, brain recovery in the acute stage. But there's no rest and recovery when you're in an ICU because everything is beeping and ringing. And then the nurses come every 20 minutes to take your vitals and to check on you. And you're supposed to get sleep, but you can't. Do you know what my big beef is? Especially for people who are uh, tending to be more comatose. Mm -hmm. Having the television on nonstop, first of all, and having it on the news or a crime show. I think that Mm -hmm. is a horrible thing to do Mm -hmm. to a person uh, who is recovering from a brain injury. Trying to, yeah, Mm -hmm. for the brain to just relax and calm down. Mm -hmm. Yep. I'm so glad I got to say that. 
drive me nuts. Yeah. And the other thing too, as long as we're on these little soapboxes right now, we need to be mindful of how we're speaking to people who are not uh, who, who have lower levels of arousal and we think that they're not with us. Um, a lot of times people report being able to hear what's going on. Mm -hmm. And so I, mm -hmm. I think it's very important to speak to a person as if they do understand you and um, be gentle and calm and tell them what you're going to do before you do it. Don't just roll a person. You know, I'm going just explain to them. I'm going to, we're going to roll you over onto your side and we're going to wash you up. So you're going to feel, it's going to feel a little cold. It's going to feel wet. Like tell people what you're going to do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think it goes a long yeah. way towards mm -hmm. super important. Uh -huh. Yeah. People can have uh, difficulties with long-term memory and remembering facts if they have temporal lobe damage. Mm -hmm. What else you got there in that great book of yours? Oh, all kinds of stuff. I'm looking at a different sheet right now. Let's see. Oh, it's too many words. Can't handle that many words. Too many words? Are they big words? There, there are too many of them. Brain isn't processing. Brain shutting down. Most darn processors. <laughs> Front lobe. Let's see. You know, I want to read the whole book. I know. shouldn't have opened it. That's my problem. I open a book about the brain. I'm like, let me, let me just read this real quick. I'll be right back. Just, just, just a little bit. I'll be right back. <laughs> Deb has good stuff. Go right ahead. Well, I'm wondering if you want to talk about the occipital lobe. Let's do it. So occipital lobes all the way in the back. All the way in the back. And that's where our vision sits. Mm -hmm. So where our visual input gets processed. Yes. So it contains the primary visual cortex mm -hmm. and it interprets visual information that comes in from the retina and then it deciphers it into meaning. We also have these visual pathways. There's a dorsal and a ventral pathway and they originate in the occipital lobe. And those are associated with visual spatial processing Things like uh, distance and depth perception, being able mm -hmm. to recognize faces and objects. Really important for forming memories. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they also can tell if objects are moving and what color something is. And these um, pathways interact closely with the motor cortex for eye movement control. And then the mm -hmm. temporal lobe for being able to understand what you're seeing. It's not so cool. Every area in the brain has its own little job, but if they don't talk, nothing good comes from it. Yeah. So cool. it's so cool. You know, I, I say this all the time. Like I remember when I was going to school, I, I learned this information as if it was compartmentalized to each distinct region. But the longer I work and the more I teach and the more I interact 
with people about um, brain injury recovery, do this podcast, just the greater my understanding is. And it's like I learn something new every time I talk about this. Mm-hmm. That's why it's so much fun to to relearn mm-hmm. on top of I what agree. you've already learned. I agree. So as we're talking about learning, just looking at this beautiful picture of the Brokaw's area and the Wernicke's area. And the Brokaw's area is actually located more towards the frontal lobe okay. than the temporal. So it's it's located in the frontal temporal lobe. Mm. I just want to throw that back out there so people people know and I didn't give any wrong information. Um, the thing is, too, like when you think about this, like what, getting a, a visual image in your mind it's like you have to think deep like not just the surface part of the brain like think about these uh, structures being three-dimensional and going deep Mm -hmm. into the Mm -hmm. brain you know that's why like if you think about a traumatic brain injury where somebody has the coup contra coup movements Mm -hmm. shearing Mm -hmm. force going on like those neurons are getting pulled apart they're getting pulled apart disconnected Disconnected. inflammation all Mm -hmm. kinds of stuff yeah and even like when you were talking about the hemorrhagic stroke when there's a blood leaking out into the brain and pushing brain structures away from where they normally are it changes the shape of the brain it changes where those neurons Mm -hmm. are connecting and the the way they're connecting that's why that's why these these different parts of the brain can interrupt function. Yeah. Love the brain. Oh, so good. Uh, I'm sorry, I should have not opened this book. Oh, I know. So can, since we're talking about the occipital lobes, which has to do with vision, and we already we talked about how the the vision, the visual pathways are closely interacting with the motor cortex for eye movement control Mm -hmm. can we just kind of go back and revisit the premotor cortex so when you're looking at an object the neurons in the occipital lobe now are starting to fire Uh and um it's like this brain activity that occurs in this early visual cortex before movement even can occur. It's known as pre-movement planning or preparation of movement. So it has, it it happens whenever there's object directed movement. So if you're thinking about drinking your favorite beverage, and then you look at your cup or glass with your favorite beverage, which I don't know what's in yours. Mine has a little coffee. Mm-hmm. Um, I have the no, ice water. I'm not as much fun as you are. And uh... <laughs> no, I, have, I have water. It's water with ice. Sure. And yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. So there's all this brain firing going on. As soon as you, as soon as you look at it, there it goes. Yeah. Yeah. It's so yeah. cool. Fireworks. Mm-hmm. And um. There's cool words associated with this. So brain activity that's seen before movement occurs. Excuse me. 
I need to even say that when you think about this, the firing starts to occur. Yeah. Um, so the brain activity that can be seen through different imaging techniques, it's referred to as movement-related cortical potentials. I love it because the potentials, know, so good. the potentials are associated with real and imaginary tasks. Yeah. So going back to visualization, you've got potential. Yeah. I mean, it's this is not a made-up thing. So I'm excited. Look what I just found. What you find? Hold on. Wait. Wait. Here it is. The cerebellum? Yes. Oh, yes. Are we going to yes. talk about the cerebellum now? Let's do it. Oh, my gosh. Tell me everything you love. Well, you know, I feel like we all think about the cerebellum and quality of movement. Mm-hmm fine-tuning movements, precision, coordination, accuracy, all that good stuff. But the cerebellum has all of these different parts to it that play a role in attention, behavioral, emotional um, experiences, creativity, imagination. I mean, it's so cool. Yeah. So the cerebellum and the cerebrum are connected to each other by a two-stage feed-forward loop and a two-stage feedback loop. And some of these loops have reciprocal connections. That means there's they go back and forth with each other. They do this to motor and sensory motor regions, and then they do it to higher order behavior regions as well. Yeah, so interesting. I'm just kind of reading up again um, in this brain injury book. And yeah, the only thing it really says in here about the cerebellum is um, that injury or disease to the cerebellum can produce problems with coordination, fine motor movements, trajectory of movement, equilibrium, and a person's sense of where their body is in space. Mm -hmm. So a person with a damaged cerebellum might appear to be drunk. Mm-hmm drunk when they walk or might not even be able to walk mm -hmm. a marked straight line or sit without support yeah it can sound like they so that's they're the... talking like when they're talking it could sound like they're drunk too mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so that's like the the typical picture of, right i mean well we i'm sure we've so all heard more to it yeah well i we've probably all heard the story of a person getting pulled over because law enforcement thought that they were drunk and they were actually having a stroke. Right. Yeah. So cognition and emotion also can be impaired if a person has a cerebellar stroke and like in the posterior part of the cerebellum. Um, like it's, it's a big deal. I have this, great article it's um called the cerebellum and cognition Ooh. Mm -hmm. 
by Jeremy Schmaman. I mean, it, I would share my screen. I mean, I can share my <laughs> screen, I'm, but our listeners won't see this. It's got this image of the cerebellum. It's divided into these nine different sections, but some of the sections have parts A and B. I mean, it's just... So oh, that's interesting. Detailed. Intricate. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's so incredibly detailed on how they've divided this up and what each section has to do with. So tasks such as moving the arm or leg activate the primary sensory motor cerebellum. Then there are cognitive paradigms. So looking at language and verbal working memory, spatial tasks, planning, organizing, and strategizing, like all of that as it relates to movement. Um, emotional processing, language, and then um, this is really interesting. Threatening stimuli such as noxious heat and viewing unpleasant pictures activate certain cerebellar regions together oh. with the limbic system structures. So again, going back to um, trauma. Yeah, absolutely. You know, they get those really strong emotional yeah. responses. And hospitals yeah. have horrible mm -hmm. odors sometimes that can be very mm -hmm. noxious to a person who has some hypersensitivity. Yeah. See what you've done. I'm still looking at my book. I know. Like, oh, neurotransmitters, receptors, synaptic vesicles. So mm -hmm. cool. <laughs> I know. You know, what is your main takeaway? Well, if you had a main takeaway for hmm. listeners about this episode, what would it be? Ooh. That's a toughie. There, I feel like there's a lot. The brain is awesome. <laughs> that's the first <laughs> love the brain um yeah i feel like there's a lot that listeners can take away from it i feel like one of the big ones is the, the premotor cortex and the visual imagery just because i love it um so even if a client or a person doesn't have movement or that motor area is impaired we can still activate mm -hmm. the brain and help it get stronger until we get a movement again mm -hmm. but yeah the, the brain is just so intricate and i feel like it's so important for us to have respect for the brain 100 mm percent -hmm. yeah um know about the brain know about the different regions and how they affect a person in other regions mm -hmm. like it can cascade so easily if one region is impaired if you can't uh, you know if your memory in one area is not there you might not be able to interpret a stimulus the way you should mm -hmm. So I don't know. How about you? What would your takeaway be? Hmm. 
my takeaway is around being curious rather than, uh, what's the right way to say this? Um, you know how when you, you read a hospital report or your doctor tells you this is where your stroke happened and this is the part of the brain that's affected, but you're having symptoms that are maybe a little different or not typical to that brain area. Don't be so sure that you can't have a problem because of what you've been told. Maybe be more curious and consider that because of the interconnectivity of all these different brain regions and like a trickle out effect Mm -hmm. that um, like, don't write yourself off. Don't write a client off, you know, keep investigating because what if it is more to do with a chemical imbalance or swelling? And if those are corrected, that uh, brain tissue would perform more normal again. I don't know. I I just feel like we need to be open-minded and willing to try. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's my takeaway. It doesn't matter if you're a clinician or if you're a care partner, if you're a survivor, I think, um, Being more curious and inquisitive and open to trying something new. I know it can be exhausting sometimes. But on a day when you're not so exhausted, (laughs) maybe then think about doing a little more research. Yeah. 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 Good talk. I love love the the brain brain. too. And... Do you consider the gut to be the second brain? I I do 100 percent. Okay. Oh yeah. Well, yeah. strong connection, gut and brain. Uh-huh. It's a very strong connection, and you know, poor gut health. Just going back to depression, poor gut health can cause depression symptoms. Yeah, it can cause anxiety symptoms. Mm-hmm. What is it? Is it 75% or 90% of the serotonin? Oh, yeah. Created in the gut. That gets created in the gut versus the brain. Yeah. Whereas I always thought it's like, well, it's a neurotransmitter and mm, oh, yeah. chemical and mm. yeah, no, gets created or produced in the gut. Well, the heart makes some, has its own little brain too. Yeah. We're learning so much now. It's really important, I think, to start investigating more and more of this because the whole body, this is the thing that occupational therapy is founded on, a holistic profession, looking at the whole body, the whole person, the mind-body-spirit connection, right? Yep. Correct. Yeah. It's not just one part. Mm-mm. Everything. It all. Yeah. Everything affects everything else. And it's great to feel good. Wow. That's a good talk. Good talk. I agree. 
I'd love to do a talk sometime about the different um, like more in depth in the lobes, like mm -hmm. what damage, how it would present in a stroke or a brain injury client. Yeah. So that'll so be part understand two. It better. Yeah. Be part two to this. So we really wanted to Just give an overview, right? Give an overview and help inspire this love the affair, basics. a love affair with others <laughs> and the brain <laughs> or inspire others to have a love affair with the brain and to start um, developing a deeper understanding of the brain. Yeah, we'll put some links in the show notes Yeah, for some articles, the books that we referenced and, you know, do some of your own research and just, just read it, see what you think. It's exciting. Mm -hmm. It's so exciting to me. It's so exciting. And with all the technology that's coming out, we're learning so much more. I feel like we know maybe a couple percent of what the brain oh. is. Mm -hmm. I feel like there's so much more to learn and discover. Agree. And I cannot wait. I'm right there with you. Now, I know sometimes big words, some of these words <laughs> can be really hard to read. So when that happens to me, I find the I find the parts of the article that talk about structures that I might be able to understand or where mm -hmm. they talk about what this means for recovery mm -hmm. or what it means for even yeah. looking at normal functioning. And um, because they always look at normal first to determine what how to understand abnormal. Right. Yeah. yeah All I right. Love the brain. Yeah. I love the brain. Mm hmm. I feel like I need to sing a little song. Sing a song. I love the brain. No, I'm not going to sing a song. Like, yeah. I don't know any brain songs. Make up. Should make one. Make one up. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like a cheerleading. B R A I N. <laughs> that was awesome. I was waiting for more. That's all I got right <laughs> now. I didn't know I was going to have to make a cheer. We're open to suggestions if anybody wants to um, <laughs> submit. In our suggestion box. Yes. 100%. For our brain cheer. Mm -hmm. So I feel like this is part one of yeah. knowing where to start for a recovery journey. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Just know what's in what's in there. Yeah. Noggins and neurons. Well, yeah, we put all of our neurons in our noggins together oh, and come up with exactly. some good ideas. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. All right, can I stop I like recording? It. Goodbye. Goodbye, and thank you for listening to this episode of Noggins and Neurons, all about the brain. Part one. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. We appreciate your support and would love to hear from you. Ask us questions and share your thoughts by email at nogginsandneurons at gmail.com. That's noggins, the word and, spelled out, neurons at gmail.com. If you like what you heard, please share this podcast with others you think will benefit. Also be sure to subscribe and leave us a review. We'll catch you next time on Noggins and Neurons, 
stroke and TBI recovery simplified.